Welcome to Let Freedom Speak podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wright. And I'm your co-host, Adam Glenn, where we bring God first, attempt to awaken the woken, and help bring despotism to an end. We will be bringing together patriots and alike to end the tyranny our forefathers once fought so hard to escape. So let it be known, we are Let Freedom Speak podcast. And it's time for we, the people, to speak. Now, sit down, get ready for fact-based terms, history, and mind-blowing education, including news and interviews with we, the people, well-known and unknown by some. Come learn with us as we, the people of the United States, help educate the uneducated and come to the terms of letting freedom speak. How, yes. how have you been? I haven't seen you for a little while. It's been a couple I, of weeks. I've been great, man. I've been pumping some gas, you know, uh, working on some voice acting stuff, you know. But, you know, not a lot has gone on. Yeah, well, um, you look fresh. You look I good. do. You have a nice haircut. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just woke up like this. It was weird. That's good. Um, sort of like Gavin Newsom, huh? Uh, yeah, that's what I was going for. Everybody says that. He's a very good-looking <laughs> governor, but... Um, I don't care what his looks are. He's just a piece of shit to me. Yeah, I actually think he is quite a piece of shit. In fact, I think he brings, like, offense to the word shit. Because, oh, in California, which is where we live, we are not allowed to use plastic straws. Why? Because they end up in the ocean. And that causes microplastics, which kill the fish. But now, Los Angeles County is reinstituting masks. A mask mandate. Okay. Up to 3 million masks are thrown away every single day in the United States, which some of those will end up in the ocean. A very large portion of them, which degrade into microplastics. So we are mandated to kill fish. When the CDC has already come out and said, wearing a mask, a cloth mask on your face does absolutely nothing in the transmission of viral diseases. But Gavin Newsom doesn't really believe in science. Uh, he must be a Scientologist. Um, but, you know, Gavin, fuck you, man. And you know what? You should start reading things like the Declaration of Independence. Read it. Read the preamble. Or watch our, what is it, second or, ep- or second or third episode? Third, second, third, fourth. Yeah, one of those episodes, we read it for you, just in case you can't read, Gavin. And read it. Because I'm not making a threat against you. Our forefathers who wrote the declaration in 1776, they're making a threat against you. As well as the people who pinned the constitution 10 years later. They're making a direct threat towards any despotic or tyrannical government. A selected, not elected governor. Yeah. We need to come to terms with that, put the S in front of E, especially with these midterms that came up. Um, a lot of people don't understand that part, but but keep watching. We'll get more of that information out for you. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, today's show is not really going to be a, a huge political type of discussion. We actually brought my father, who is pretty much the most interesting guest I could think of to bring on this podcast and sort of maybe give us a little Christmas special, like, you know, some happiness. Well, morbid happiness. Like He's, Die Hard and Die Hard too. Yeah. yeah. Because my father, for about 25 years, was a, uh, a professional mortician. He started in, uh, in high school, basically, being, uh, I think, an assistant um, uh, uh, funeral director 
and then went to college to become a full-blown mortician and I also did makeup and other things on dead bodies and um, he's got some of the most interesting stories you will ever hear in your life I guarantee it and the people out there have never heard anything like this before nobody has heard anything about what you are about to hear. This is absolute, it, it's just entertainment incarnate. That's great. I'm excited to ask him these questions. So like every podcast, let's just start off with a quick prayer because as you can tell folks, we said a few more swear words than we usually say. Yeah, we want to get that over with. And, uh, and you know, we're not angels, we're just, human beings just like the bible states and uh and i'm not going to say i'm perfect so so i'm going to start off our podcast with prayer i just want to thank thank the lord to get us here safely and and having everybody's voices and opinions be heard today for the matter of truth and please lord just keep opening the eyes of the people that need to be awakened to your love and your prosperity and just thank you so much for everything you've done for us and gathering us today for truth. In Jesus' name I say amen. Amen, man. All right, so I'm excited. Um, let's do this introduction. Mr. Adrian Glenn, thank you for so much for coming on the show today. Yes, thank you very much. My pleasure. So explain, what's your uh, work history, your career, <clears throat> just... You know, just go off. We have nothing to hide here. So, <laughs> no, I've got nothing to hide at this point. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1968. Just prior to my high school graduation, I uh, went to work in a mortuary at nights. Uh, a quick anecdote there uh, I walked in the mortuary after I got out of school on a Friday, and the guy goes, Oh, well, go out back and you can help Bob. Well, Bob was the embalmer. And I, uh, Went back there. I'm just shy of 18 years old, and I walked in on a fully open body from an autopsy. The top wow. of the head was gone. The body was laid wide open, and I had never seen anything like that before in my life. I was, you know, high school science class. So the guy goes, "Oh well, I'll show you how to sew up bodies." So <laughs> within my first. 15, 20 minutes as a, what I refer to as a junior mortician, I wound up sewing up autopsies. And it didn't make me ill. It didn't really bother me that much. That evening, we were on call, and we spent the night overnight, every other night, at the mortuary on call. And we were sent to a traffic collision where a 58 Cadillac T-boned a Volkswagen Bug this woman was pretty much blown apart. The only thing keeping her together was she was wearing a heavy coat. So we're doing everything, and my partner goes, look, I know you're green. If you're going to get sick, go get sick someplace, because if I hear you or I see you puke, I'll puke and make us both look bad. <laughs> I, I do the same thing. <laughs> so I go, okay. So I'm standing there watching him do a property inventory on this uh, uh, collision victim, and this LAPD officer walks up, and he had hash marks on his sleeves indicating he'd probably been a cop for 16, 18 years. And he goes, let's see what you got. Throws back the uh, sheet, and he visibly was shaken by it, covers her back up. He goes, I don't know how you guys can do this. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I've been an undertaker for a total of maybe six hours at this point. It ain't bothering me. It's bothering a cop that's probably seen an awful lot of death. So I must be cut out for this career. Anyway, I went to Mortuary College. Uh, I spent until 1984 as a funeral director licensed embalmer. I managed mortuaries in Central California on the Central Coast and in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. From 1984 until 1995, I worked for the Champion Chemical Company. I sold um, embalming chemicals and mortuary supplies. During this time, 
I also put myself through the police academy, and after completing the police academy, obtained my concealed weapons permits in Southern California and started doing uh, off-duty security work. So I was a busy boy. Uh, I did uh, that from roughly 1991 and until 2003, I was a, essentially a reserve police officer. I worked for p- two different agencies and uh, did security slash executive protection all of this time until I retired myself in 03. Okay, yeah, well. That's exciting stuff. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You were very busy. And uh, and I, I don't know if it was the last time I spoke with you when I first met you, but uh, maybe it was Adam told me a story. But uh, when you were in high school, you they were trying to enlist you into Vietnam. Was there, did you tell me that story and, and you decided to do the mortician business? Well, I was, I turned 18 and this was like 1970. I had to go in for my draft physical. Everybody was subject to the draft. So I wind up going to a draft board hearing. And I walk in, sit down. Uh, They all introduce themselves. I said, well, you're, you're out of high school. Yes, sir. Okay, well, what kind of work do you do? I said, well, I'm a, an apprentice embalmer. Oh, well, you're vital to the health and safety of the United States, our citizens of California. So you get a deferment. I go, cool. Nice. <laughs> so Move to Canada. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to move to Canada. So then they had lottery numbers in the draft. And in the next three years, my lottery numbers came up in the high 300s, which means you're not going to get drafted. So I didn't go to Vietnam. I don't miss it. And just so you guys know, uh, my dad was nice enough to bring, and he he kept all these years, his draft cards. Uh, This one's from 1967, and I'm going to make it really big on the screen for you or you. And uh, this one here is, what is this one from? Uh, uh, 1827? No. All right, I don't know where that one from but we'll figure it out later all right and then uh, 1976 which is towards the end of the war and this one actually has a photo of my dad when he was about half my age and uh yeah he don't look anything like me kind of looks like my brother though and um so uh I, i you have told multiple stories over the years to me and family members but now it's time to share it with the world man you gotta tell us when you were a mortician in the vietnam era and you're doing your a duty for america like you said can you tell me about this one thing you told me about when you would get a body bag sent to you from Vietnam and you had a woman come up to you who was uh, attending or she was the mother of the victim and uh, she hands you a photograph. She hands you a photograph and then you know what I'm talking about. Tell the rest of the story. Yeah, I was working in a mortuary and uh a young Marine had died in action in Vietnam, and they always had an escort, usually with somebody that was with him at the time he was killed. So the Marine Corps told this woman, this woman, the mother of the deceased, that he was not viewable. And she said, well, I want to see him. And the escort, the Marine escort says, well, you can't see him. And they had caskets that had glass lining on them, and they would put tin foil or aluminum foil on the inside of it. And then they had butterfly bolts that would go around the entire interior so people wouldn't open up the casket. 
So she says to me and the manager of the mortuary, we're standing there. She holds up this picture. She says, would you please just look at my son and tell me what you think? You know, it, I just need to be sure that it was him. So we look. So we didn't want to, but we opened up this entire thing. We opened, and we had no idea because a lot of times they'd come back decomposed. They'd come back with pretty much nothing. What we found in the casket was a large, basically a burlap sack filled with dirt. So we talked to the escort, and he says, well, he took a direct artillery hit, and he vaporized. We couldn't find anything of him. There was nothing left. No dog tags, nothing. Nothing. It was just, yeah, so, you know, big old huge... uh, 155 millimeter shell hits him or something. He's, he's vaporized essentially. So we looked, looked, the um, escort was there with us. We closed it back up, went out, and the manager says, Well, ma'am, as near as we can tell, that's him. I mean, why would we want to torture a woman with for the rest of her life not being sure whether or not her husband was in that casket? So we did a little fudging, but it was in the long term for her benefit. Mm-hmm. Until now, anyway. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the truth always comes yeah, out. No, no names are given. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, but if you remember this guy from 1974 or whatnot, we're sorry, you know? But yeah, that's what really went down. Why, sorry. Why would they. So I, I understand the, the point of, you know, a distressed mother or distressed uh, wife, distressed wife, mm. but he, uh, he wasn't married. Oh, but I'm just saying on, on both aspects of looking at it, I mean, not knowing where that body, if it was the correct body, but um, that was that earlier into your mortician career. No, I was just starting. I think I was still actually in high school. When that oh, okay. <laughs> so they, 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 you know, it, they were <clears throat> forming you to do that. And, and, uh, just like Adam spoke in the previous podcast about the Vietnam war. I mean, they were hiding a lot of different things, the deaths of people and, and probably the, the count of how many soldiers actually died in that war. But, uh, that's, that's a crazy story. Wow. They so they they were pushing that. Did they push that a lot? Did you experience a lot of those type no, of No, that's the only one bodies? that really stands out. A really? lot of times uh, military personnel were sent from Vietnam. They had a uh, the army had a actual mortuary and they would embalm bodies no matter what state they were in, mm-hmm. preserve them. Then they were shipped to I want to say Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, up in the Bay Area, I'm not 100% sure, this is going back a ways, and they would put the military personnel in uniforms. They would make sure that all of their medals and, and everything was just right, whether they could be viewed or not, and then they would um, ship them to wherever they were going to be buried. Okay. What, uh, what era of presidency? Was that Nixon? When when you were doing that, who's president? Seventy God. two would be. I'm thinking Johnson. No, I don't. It was okay. He's right on that that cusp. Yeah, well, I can't yeah, remember. It was, it was before they were going to send people into Laos, and that's what. Yeah, if it was Lyndon B. Johnson, he was a yeah. He was a total progressive nut. And then that's when the caskets came with heroin. Right. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, that's how they brought heroin in, right? They they would put them in the caskets. There's a movie called Air America uh, with uh, Mel Gibson. It kind of it's, yeah, it's not a I good remember. movie, but you know, yeah. it kind of touches on that subject. Hey, every Mel Gibson's a good movie. Uh yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, so, so with the. The mortician stories that you have, do you have any other sort of weird stories like that coming out, or is that the weirdest you got? Well, because, I'll, I mean, that it's very intriguing. I I couldn't be a mortician, 
it would be it'd be rough for me like seeing if if i would see children or babies and dealing with that but obviously you started at such a young age but i I have a friend that works in the the embalming business and uh i don't know if he's a mortician or not i'd have to ask him but uh they just but he was also he's also a paramedic i worked with him offshore for a long time and uh, he 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 couldn't handle it. the the children was the hardest part for him but i mean how that is you know you start talking about it and thinking about this stuff but uh how did how did what how was it for you handling that situation what i mean was there ups and downs about it or was that the weirdest story that you've had well i've i've written two books so i haven't oh. published them and what are, oh you haven't published them? no well, why he needs haven't you to everybody them? go yeah. get them published right in the comments yeah. if you want my dad to publish his book say publish book now <laughs> now send money <laughs> send money he's an editor uh i forgot the question i'm sorry it's okay i was we'll start over so with everything that you've experienced what is probably the the weirdest or out of out of ordinary type of mortician story that you may have? Renee, what's the closest you've ever come to throwing up? Yeah. The closest I ever came to throwing up. <laughs> we picked a guy up that was out in his backyard drinking gin and eating uh, saltine crackers. And he had a heart attack, died, was laying out in the yard. We show up, we bring him back to the mortuary, undress him, get ready to embalm him. And he had a, this is going to probably get you guys kicked off all the sites. No, 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 he no. Had a this big, is great. We want this. He Trust had a me. big gob of saltine cracker in his mouth and in the back uh, of his throat. And he stunk like a bottle of gin. So I didn't like gin at the time. I didn't particularly wasn't impressed with the saltine crackers. I don't know anybody So I've got to remove <laughs> this gob of crackers before I can go ahead and do the embalming. Oh, my God. So I use a, I pull this gob of goo. It went clear halfway down his esophagus. And there were hundreds of tiny ants all over everything. Oh, wow from in this gob of goo and i looked at that and i yeah that it didn't make me sick but that was you know one of these things where you go whoa (laughs) yeah hey hey uh you know there's people that can have some pretty crazy careers but i think that tops a lot of them i i i couldn't do it but i i give anybody respect that can actually deal with that and you gotta be pretty strong i know your time's limited but i could i could spend based on my 22-year career there. I also spent time as a reserve investigator for the Los Angeles coroner's office during that interval. Yeah. And people go, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? And you go, I haven't seen it yet because the coroner sees everything. And I saw stuff there that was just, whoa, that's impressive. Or how can you shoot somebody that many times? Or, gee, that truck hit him doing 80 or what? I mean, it was just most people that undertakers deal with die in bed. They die on the floor in their house or in a hospital. That's pretty much it. But then there's that 5 or 10% that, you know, you go, whoa, that's some crazy stuff. And I've got stories I could take you guys for hours just yeah well we're already we're only about halfway through um <laughs> tell us the story about the guy you found on the beach who was decomposed and you grabbed the arms and the other guy grabbed the legs and then what happens next uh we pulled the arms and legs out of the socket yeah and uh that's always unpleasant at best yeah were you and trying to heave him no we just Lifting them from A to B, we're going to drop them into a body bag. Ah. And, of course, you have all of the the maggots. You have, uh, if they're out of the water, there could be anything inside the body, so, or on the body. Barnacles, crabs, you name it. (laughs) So, yeah, those 
So that was that was that when you were a mortician or a police yeah. officer? A no. mortician. Mortician. Wow. Yeah, I was and managing a mortuary up in the central coast of California at that time. So you had what was it? What did you say? Twenty-two years as a mortician. Yeah. Okay. So after the twenty-two years of being a mortician, that led into you being a police officer for Inglewood, right? Well, yeah, Inglewood indirectly. I uh, oh, okay. Nineteen ninety. I remarried, and my wife made really good money. Still makes really good money. We've That's been married nice. 33, 34 years. And I was able to put myself through the police academy at the age of 40. Oh, okay. Most, in most police agencies don't want to hire some guy that's 40 because they can't handle the physical conditioning. They can't handle the stress that the, the academy staff puts you through. So I couldn't get an agency to essentially sponsor me to get through the academy. So I did it myself. Um, the chief of police, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have got time. I got, I've got yeah. anecdotal go. stories all. Go. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, no, go, go, yeah. go. Oh, You're good. So I'm in the academy. This is a pretty good story. Um, and the chief of police for the city of Arcadia is conducting the first aid block. Taught us, you know, first aid, including CPR and everything. So we had to do a practical test. And everybody knew that I was a mortician, a coroner's investigator in the class. So, you know, it wasn't a big secret. All of the academy staff knew it. Chief of police didn't know it. So he gets up there. He says, um, all right. CPR, begin. I go, I can't do it, Chief. What do you mean you can't do it? Oh, I, I can't. He says, well, you've, you, you took the course. You've, you've had the training. Why can't you do it? Conflict of interest, sir. Conflict of interest? What do you mean conflict of interest? I said, and then meanwhile, even the tactical officers did all the PT training and all the, everything else. They're in the back of the classroom busting up. They're going. <laughs> so I said, well, sir, I'm a mortician and I work for the coroner's office. And, you know, this is, this is against what I'm, I'm used to doing. And everybody's laughing by now, rolling around. All of a sudden, he got it. So we finished that, and we're back in class doing something else. And I get summoned to the tactical officer's office. I go, oh, God, chief of police for a city is going to ream my tail for making him look bad or whatever. And, you know, they're going to get me blackballed as a police officer. And he says, I go in, sit down. You got to go through all these formalities. You got to knock on the door and all this. So I get through it. I, I'm standing at attention. Ah, oh, sit down, Glenn. Basically, he offered me a job as a police officer in the city of Arcadia. He says, most agencies will take six to eight months to process it. I can guarantee you I'll get you hired in two months. Sounds good to me. So I wound up, my first uh, career position as a police officer was in uh, Arcadia. After three and a half years there, I uh, got tired of watching my partner's playing Game Boy in a bank parking structure and driving around doing, uh, you know, writing parking tickets. And there just wasn't that much crime in that city at that time. Mm -hmm. I understand it's changed dramatically like everything else has. So I applied for Inglewood PD. And Inglewood PD, uh, I knew it was going to be a rock'em, sock'em police department. They were busy all the time. So I applied, was accepted, and... Uh, Spent 10 years there. Wow. I enjoyed it. By the way, I was born in Inglewood. Yeah. Yeah, back in the he's 70s. A, he's OG. Yeah, yeah. I'm OG to yeah, the core. Yeah, you brought up about, uh, what was it, every New Year's or something? You guys would have to hide under the oh, table. Oh, yeah, every New time. Year's. Uh, when they were divorced, or my mom and him were divorced, and we were living in a real shithole in um in the middle of Inglewood, Crips, Bloods, fighting. I mean, if you ever seen the movie Colors, it was like that, okay? And then every New Year's, 
my mom would be like, okay, you get underneath the dinner table. And then she put like stuff on top of the dinner table and you just hear it like right around midnight and new year's. And then I would go to school the next day and I was uh, going to Westport Heights elementary near the Los Angeles airport. And so I would go across the playground, right? And I'd go through the playground during recess and I would find bullets missing the shell casing. And I pick them out and I oh, that's a 38, that's a nine millimeter. That looks like it's from an AK-47. And so then share and tell, I had something to share and tell for class. And then I would say, yeah, so I found these bullets in the plane, the, the yard. And then they'd call my parents up I'm like, yeah, your kid knows a lot about guns. What are you guys doing? And, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, everyone thought I was a psycho. But, yeah, I guess I was. <laughs> so with all that, so let's let's go back a little bit because, so you started off with them as, as the mortician, and then in your 40s you – you got hired on as a cop, correct? Correct. So, um, how, how do I want to word this? I guess with what you experienced being a cop in Inglewood back then, and I'm sure you have friends that are in the in the that work for the uh, the police precinct or police department in that area, but we don't have to name any names. What are what are the drastic differences that you? can notice nowadays compared to what cops can do nowadays to what you guys used to be able to do because i know me and you like even spoken you got you i I like the name that that you use for the uh the constitutional uh i I forget the word that you use but every everybody that thinks they know the constitution or the bill of rights they they always have to use that against the cop and i think that sort of looks bad i mean everybody should know the constitution and your bill of rights but you don't have to have an argument with a cop every time they pull you over about about your rights. But what what do you see differently now compared to what you had to deal with? Well, things have gotten a lot more quick. Uh, everything's electronics now. And probably the biggest change I've seen is the use of cell phone cameras and body cameras on law enforcement. We used to get people that would say, oh, that officer said blah, 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 which was a blatant lie. And so it was your word against theirs. And it it always created problems. We all started carrying personal uh, micro uh, recorders. And, well, that made people mad. So (laughs) then people started, you know, they'd run up to you and they would film. I remember working in Arcadia and... We had a group of, I want to be politically correct, young gentlemen that were running around the mall, and they were acting like they were going to steal stuff. So that got the attention of the mall security. They called us, and so they chased these guys out the end of the mall. They hadn't taken anything. So we get out there. We're dealing with them, and I see this red dot behind a old... uh, beat up Cadillac and I walked around behind it and this young woman was filming the whole thing. It was planned. They were trying to sucker, this is after the riots, they were trying to sucker the cops into doing something stupid so they could get a big payday. And there's still a lot of that. And a lot of people are playing the I can't breathe thing. It's always been my contention that if you can yell and scream and insult police officers that you can breathe pretty well okay so this brings up something really important that i'm glad you brought up um the uh oh my god what was the name of the guy who george floyd george floyd okay um he was put down on the ground right and he had maybe the police officer did use too much force because he didn't know that George Floyd had ingested fentanyl and heroin and stuff. So uh, he just thought he was saying what everybody else says when you're holding them down the ground. And how often when you're holding somebody down on the ground or trying to arrest them, do they say they can't breathe? How often would you say? 
well, back in the day before it became popular to say that, um, frequently, not, not every time, every time. And I think a cautious officer, myself, had a pretty good knowledge of anatomy. I'd put my knee, if I had to keep somebody on the ground, if they were resisting, if they were trying to get away, whatever it might be, I'd put my knee between their shoulder blades. You're not going to break their neck, you're not going to break their back, and they're not going to get up. So that was what we did. Yeah, but if somebody got to the point where they're starting to scream for their mama, because that's what he did at the end, was... Mama, you know, he starts screaming for his mama. You, obviously, it's at one point, even the officers who are with him are like, "Man, what should we do?" He's, he's he could be dying. Yeah, he's whacked out. He was acting. There's a lot of different type of conspiracies with that whole thing, but it led on to the whole BLM and Antifa movement right before uh, election. Yeah, yeah. And so it was horrible. I mean. Well, I think one thing that the general public isn't aware of or doesn't ever think about is situations that I was involved in and that most police officers are involved in happen in an instant. You pull a guy over for a crack taillight. You walk up to the car, he sticks a gun in your face. It goes downhill really quickly. And what you do between the time he sticks a gun in your face and the time the coroner shows up, you know, they've, you, the detectives, the public, your, your supervisors, your peers, the guy's family, everybody has a chance to second guess your actions. And that's causing now a lot of police officers to hesitate. They're reluctant to use deadly force or even strong physical force because they don't want to lose their house, their liberty, their uh, identity. Uh, you know, their yeah, identity. It's, it's, and they don't want to go to prison like the guy that kneeled on George Floyd for, what, 20, 30 years. No, yeah, he's done for. It's it's like, uh, it's, it's just like anybody <clears throat> that's employed by, by somebody else. If you're not working for yourself, you always have to worry about it if your employer is going to fire you or not but i think the the police have to worry a lot more about those issues because they you know they're they're dealing with the public in an executive and judiciary ways and um it's just like you know somebody that didn't want to take a vaccination and worry about being fired but because what i've seen with police officers as well and you hear stories all over is uh is they, they could see somebody in a trench coat walking into a, a gas station and they know the person's armed and ready to rob them, but because of the color of their skin, they, they don't, they look the other way. Yeah. Now, is that, have you heard that? I mean, oh, I've yeah. seen it from, you know, videos and other live PD type it's of things. It's all post George Floyd. Yeah, 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 all post George Floyd. have become aware that everyone's got a camera, everyone's going to film them. I've got a pretty good story about something similar to what you just outlined. Please. I went into a um, uh, Arco gas station to get a big gulp one day, and I'm wearing, I'm down in San Diego County. I'm there on personal business. I'm wearing a sport coat, slacks, shirt, and I don't think I had a tie on. And I had left my off-duty weapon up underneath the car seat, parked it. This old beater car pulls up directly in front of the entrance to this gas station. This guy jumps out. It's probably an 80, 85 degree day. He's wearing a trench coat. And he's got both hands jammed down in the trench coat. And he beelines for the uh, cashier. And I'm walking up with my big gulp. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to rob the place. I don't have my gun. If he decides there's going to be a problem, I'm going to have a new orifice. So <laughs> he looks at me. I look at him. And I look like a poster boy for a middle-aged police detective. And he goes, he gives me a nod, and I reflexively nodded back, stuck his hand all the way back down in his jacket pocket again, turned around, got back in his car, and drove off. So I'm trying to tell the uh, liquor store ca or the Arco cashier, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? 
<laughs> and I'm thinking, I came really close to getting shot, I'm sure, or shooting, well, if I, I didn't have my gun. But, you know, so that, that sort of thing happens. I've, I've had several instances off-duty where people come up and do stupid stuff. So, yeah, it's so, interesting. So would you say being a police officer nowadays is just would be out like if you could go back and you were living in the times you were now when you were 40, would you be a police officer now? No. no. Hell no, probably not. I mean, not with the way the world is. I mean, I'd be scared out of my mind. Yeah, you're, you're always having to look over your back. You're, you're looking at all ways, all different ways. I think nowadays as a police officer, you got to worry about what's on camera. You have to constantly worry about what you're going to say. Yeah, and it's racism that's out there, like real racism, where there is a certain color that police officers are afraid of. They may see this particular color of individual robbing somebody, and the cops have a serious discussion probably. Hey, should we intervene? Because there's a lot of people with cell phones, and there's... They can edit it to make it look like we were the aggressors. Should we just let it play out and pick up the pieces when it's all done? You know, what do we do? You know, we don't want to have to grow beards, change our last names, and move to another state. Like the guy from Michael Brown, who was exonerated. But he had to grow a beard, change his name, move out of state. His whole family had to get out of there. Yeah, I mean, the whole... the technology movement uh, has has increased drastically that it's so easy to edit things now so fast that oh yeah and you could do even uh what do they call them deep fakes right yeah. deep fakes where you can have donald trump say uh i am the you know dark angel of death i'm here to destroy the world and uh hail satan you know you can make him say that yeah and it looks real and it sounds real you know the the ai has taken my voice over job or career and turned it into absolute crap yeah because the ai is so good now that there's no reason. Well, Elon Elon Musk warned us about that a, a while ago about the whole AI. I should have listened. And it, but the weird thing is, I, I don't know. I I was just having this conversation the other night about you know he, I don't know which side to take with Elon Musk. He he's doing so well with the Twitter aspect about getting free speech back out and getting all of the. Uh, the Twitter files out about how they were uh, constricting and muffling the 2020 elections, everybody that was speaking about the elections. But uh, then there's also that dark side that we don't know. I don't know if he's an alien or if he's an AI robot. I just don't know with him. And uh, But you know what? You love him or hate him, I like him. I like well, him right now. Even Joe Rogan asked him, what are the chances that we're living in a simulation right now? Right. That we're inside of a game, and then when you die, you take off your Oculus, and you go, all right, you want to play again? Right. Yeah. I'm like, what? That was that wasn't real? You know? Like, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen when I die, almost. Uh, are we living in a, a simulation? And, oh, my God, that's a rabbit hole to go down. But yeah. So, um, so since we're talking about weird stuff again, yeah. So, so, what are some weird cop stories or interesting cop stories that you may have? It's you got to ask a little bit more specific questions because I got enough weird cop stories oh, to keep everybody entertained here oh. for hours. Well, I could say, <laughs> what's the dirtiest cop story that you have, or we could just we could go milder and. What what's the closest you've ever come to shooting somebody? Yeah. Uh, I usually worked weekends and holidays, and there was always it, my partner and I. I worked with the same guy for about eight years, and we used to joke that a shift, a ten-hour shift, where we didn't have our guns out at least twice was. You know, it's just, you know, might as well be parking enforcement. So <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. I, I, I 
enjoyed the latitude that you had in an urban environment. It's called basically a ghetto because you could say stuff that I couldn't say to the rich doctors and lawyers that were out in Arcadia without getting fired and sued and everything else. Um, you didn't like the Hollywood side. You liked the real side of things. You liked the nitty-gritty, dirty part oh. of, of dealing with real-life issues instead of the corrupt politician, movie star scene. Is, uh, is that, that sort of where you're getting from? dealt with the movie stars yeah. after I retired as a cop doing executive protection, but that's a, a different story. Yeah, we'll uh, get into that. Uh, I think it, going back to what's different 17 years later is that people have a lot less respect for the police, for law and order, for human decency. Uh, morals and morals. Yeah, it's it's a whole different morality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you can stand there with a straight face and say that a, a genetic and anatomical male can have a baby, uh, well, that's digressing from yeah. what we're talking yeah. about, but it's, it's a lack of... I, I, I see these cop shows on TV, and cops, when I was working... Up until, well, from roughly 90 up until 04, if you said something really stupid to a cop or you threatened them, you were probably going to get pulled out of the car and bounced off the concrete. Uh, One of my, my favorite stories I tell people is that when I went to Inglewood from Arcadia, they said, well, we'd like to put you through some training. We know you got three and a half years of police experience, but we'd like to train you. I go, coming from Arcadia to Inglewood is like going from a Girl Scout troop to a SEAL team. I'll take all the training you want to give me because I know I'm going to be neck deep in the real deal. The gangster stuff. Yeah. So... I'm out there training, and I'm driving, and I've got this training officer with me, and we're getting along really well. And I pull this car over for some infraction, and the driver's sitting there. I walk up, and I see a driver's license, registration, and proof of insurance. He kind of gives me a sideways glance, looks straight ahead. He goes, sir, I need to see your driver's license, registration, and proof of insurance now. And he just looks off again. So I look over at my training officer partner. He's got the cover position on the other side of the car. He's, he just looks at me, shrugs and laughs. So I go, if you don't get out of the car, I'm going to pull you through this effing window and I'm going to bounce you on the concrete. Oh, I didn't know you were speaking to me, officer. <laughs> so oh it, was, it was that kind of thing. They would, you know, people would push as hard as they could. You know? Yeah, as intimidation. Yeah, or one of my favorites was, oh, you just had to write, and then they would use a term I don't use, a ticket. Go, okay, get out of the car. Why? Well, I'm asking you nicely. And they get out of the car, I'd go, all right. If a white person drives down this street in the next five minutes, I'll tear up the ticket, okay? Oh, where do I sign it? Because they knew better. Or, or you just had to write a, a, a ticket, and then I would say, oh, you're writing a minority a ticket. I go, wait a minute. I'm an old white cop in Inglewood. Who's the minority? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. exactly. That's proof in the pudding right there. Jesus. So you, so you did the mortician, you did the cop, and then you led into the executive production or protection, protection yeah. executive protection. And so explain a little bit of what that entailed. Well, my, after a couple of years as a police officer, I started doing a lot of off-duty work. Uh, that would range anywhere from being essentially a security guard to high-end executive protection, providing protective services for celebrities, for entertainers, for dignitaries occasionally. Uh, But a lot of that was, well, 
I'm hiring uh, off-duty cops because my lawyer can beat up your lawyer. It was just, it, there was no need for it. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to hire somebody at what we were getting paid, I'll take their money. But we would explain <laughs> to them, you know, there's there's no real threat, sir. You know, this is not going to happen. You're The person you're concerned about is up in Northern California deer hunting. I don't care. They can get on a plane and they can be down here in two hours. All right. <laughs> wow. So you, so with the executive protect, protection, that's movie stars, politicians, people like that. Who are some of the people you work for? Uh, I worked for Stevie Wonder for about six months. Stevie needed protection at his house he had people that would show up occasionally that he didn't want to deal with uh he had a penthouse on wilshire boulevard and he was terrified of fire because you know you can't yeah i I would be terrified of it if he was in this place by himself he it'd be a mess so that was a concern of his and then random people showing up even though he had a private elevator going up to this penthouse, I nearly shot one of his nephews one time. <laughs> that was kind of entertaining. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, he came out of the uh, private elevator and we were supposed to get notice from the lobby, you know, somebody coming up. This kid comes out of the, and he's, he's dressed down like a, a crip. I go, hey, where are you going? He said some things. I don't know. I don't particularly want to repeat them, but he made references to me and my mom, terrible things I was doing with her and how he didn't. And so I pulled my gun out. I didn't know who in the hell he was. And I go, I use some of the language that is common vernacular in the urban community and uh, got his attention. And about the time I was getting ready to put him on the the, uh, carpet out, front of the elevator Stevie Wonder's girlfriend came flying out of the uh, penthouse she goes oh Adrian Adrian no 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 he's okay he's okay so I all right I said he needs a lesson in manners he's pushing it pretty hard so they go inside he, they sent him out later to apologize to me so you know hey that's better than nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next time I'll bring a gun. Nobody, talk, nobody talks about my mom. And <laughs> any of my friends know that. Just don't talk about my mom. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, this this whole podcast went by so quick, having uh, my dad over here. We've got to bring you back so you can continue because you did work for a lot of huge celebrities, including this guy's family and uh, a certain cannibal from a certain Academy Award winning movie and uh, several other people. But um, uh, we really want to take our last moments of the show to uh, tell you about our merchandise shop. Okay. It's www.letfreedomspeak.com shop.shop let freedom speak.shop go there and we have about five different items including a coffee mug and a hoodie and a t-shirt and a and a girl's apparel as well and um we're gonna bring uh my dad back on definitely because there's no way we can get through everything in one hour with him i mean it's a yeah, you can go on forever. For yeah, really. he did. I, I don't even think you got to speak about the U.S. Marshall contract experience. No. But, well, we'll get, yeah, definitely get you back. Oh, yeah. There. I told you you're in for a two-hour yeah. ordeal. Oh, yeah. No, he, he has had, like, you know, like, like the biggest gangster MFers on earth. Yeah. And he has to sit there and watch him. You might start talking to him, and he would be talking to these guys who are like legendary criminals and they'd be you know well he'll tell you and 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 i'm so glad you came on today because it's gonna i hope people realize with with police officers you know yes ever there's always been a corrupt police officer out there but treat police officers with decency they 
they're trying to protect us. Um, they're out there putting their lives on the line for us. And and it's sort of it's it's out there. We we know it's so much different back then to what it is now. And I have a friend that's in the uh, the police department in Ventura, but uh, you know give give these guys some respect have some like i keep bringing up in all of our shows have some morals for for everybody it, as you can see this this is a normal everyday human being we have on the show he is not affiliated with any politicians this was what we wanted we want more people like you guys to come on and just speak truth speak your life stories and and letting your freedom speak because the world needs to know how it really is and not what's on mainstream media news. So, but uh, thank you so much, Adrian, for coming on. My we pleasure. Definitely thank enjoy doing it. We'll thank you. Get you back on. We scratched just the just the, the surface, surface of the iceberg. Yeah, and we didn't I, even see what's under the water. I'm, I mean, I I'm gonna do a quick reading just from the Constitution uh, because we are now starting the Constitution. So I'm just gonna do the preamble on this show because we're gonna get Malcolm back on, and you know he's a constitutional speaker, and I'd love for him to partake on this part. But I'm just gonna read the preamble of the Constitution of the United States because as as you have seen from our previous podcast, we start out with the Declaration. Now we are at the Constitution of the United States that was written in 1787, not 1776, 1787. Um, Oh, so it was 11 years. I thought it was 10. Yeah, 11 years. Okay, I messed up. So the Constitution of the United States preamble, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And that was written to protect we the people against any type of domestic terrorism from the government to protect us. Now, I'd like to ask you this question as being a previous law enforcement officer. Did, were you, uh, mandated or was it mandatory for you guys to know your declaration and constitution back in the time frame you were a police officer in the academy we had a i think a three or a four hour block dedicated to uh, the constitution and amendments thereof and that was it i mean from that point on yeah but i mean you had to you had to obviously deal with the federal part but then you also had to deal with the state part the state constitution as well right no. California. No, oh, wow. no, no, it was federal constitution and the California penal code, California vehicle code. That was that sort of that's as oh, close. Okay. As we we never had to do anything with the state constitution. Okay, that's more I think in the sheriff's line they have to uh, maybe to know that. Oh, I mean they should. I think everybody needs to know the Declaration, of Independence, Constitution, and a Bill of Rights. But don't 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 use it as being a jackass out there using it against cops. Nobody likes that. Yeah, don't be like holding up pieces of paper yeah. against a window. When you know you're you're caught doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, I hate you know. those idiots. Yeah, I think they're so smart. But I know the law. You can't write me a ticket. Yeah, that's stuff. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Well, Let I know. Let me give I you was... a souvenir of our experience together. <laughs> and now a little close encounters of the third kind. <laughs> Awesome. So let's end this segment today. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining Let Freedom Speak podcast, episode five. Please remember to go check out our Patreon. We have three different tiers. Lowest level starts at $3. Mid-level starts at 5 The highest level starts at 15 The highest level gives you Zoom meetings one-on-one with us. We will add in any type of uh, bloopers, any things that we mess up on this podcast which happens quite a bit with myself but it's okay and it's hilarious i am going to be dropping the patreon uh beginner beginning level patreon to only one dollar for patriots we are looking just for any type of support and help that we could get um, to just establish this podcast everything comes out of our pockets um we don't we don't have any sponsors but uh 
but we appreciate everybody that has has stayed with us has had our backs to give us this motivation to keep doing this it's not easy we both have full-time jobs um and we're just busy people but the truth has to come out and i i feel deep down that uh adam and i and everybody that's helping us out and and people wanting to come onto the podcast um you know that that's just a gift from god for us and and the people that just need to open their eyes more open up your eyes it's here um and uh just you know partake and in any type of uh political advance it's it's our uh it's our duty our civic duty to to understand what's going on so anytime there's voting go vote if you need to talk to your assemblywoman your senators your uh your city council town council go to these meetings uh there's so many issues at with our children now at their schools go to your parent teacher conferences uh partake be involved we need this only the people can can fix this not our government remember that again thank you everybody and this is let freedom speak podcast